A couple of things coming up I want to remind you of. October 28th, Peter Lightheart. Who knows who Peter Lightheart is? You read anything by him? Amazing guy. He, if, if you're in the literary uh, world at all, you know who Peter Lightheart is. I just told about 80% of you all that you're not in the literary world at all, I guess. <laughs> Sorry about that. Anyway, um, he, uh, he, he's, 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 the, he's the bomb. Um, he's going to be here October 28th uh, over at Anchor Baptist Church. And so uh, set that day aside and get over there if you can. Uh, also, I want to mention this so you can be praying. We are going to Mexico November 4th through the 11th. We'll be doing medical teams. And is Michaela here? Are you in here, Michaela? With the kids? Um, I think Michaela is going to try to get together Christmas gifts so we can go ahead and take them down as well. And so you'll be getting a letter on that. But there's a team of six or seven people going down. We've got our tickets. We've got our um, motels down there. Uh, we've got contacts to get medicines in Mexico so we don't have to get them through the border. So um, uh, all systems are to go. But begin praying right now uh, for that team. Uh, three different uh, situations in uh, Mount Sinai. Number one, we have a young lady down there who was bitten by a snake. They had to carry her out, and I think they transported her to uh, Acapulco. Um, and uh, I think she's improving, but her leg was, was as big as a, a tree. And uh, so pray for her. Uh, also, Martine, you know who he is. Continue to pray for him. And we just got a call from Peter recently. There's a third lady who needs an eye operation. And we'll tell you more about that when we find out about it, but uh, they needed, I think, about $3,000 to do that operation. That's just so amazing to me that, that for, for that little amount of money, they can get an operation down there. So uh, we had the joy of sending the money down for that operation to take place. And so thank you all for, for your giving that makes that possible. Uh, when we get a call like that, we just, Tom sends the money. And, uh, and it's just a joy to be able to do that for, for people that, that really don't even have running water in their adobe huts. So, hallelujah. What a joy to be able to do stuff like that. Amen? Hallelujah. We as Americans are extremely blessed financially. Uh, but with that blessing comes a responsibility to, to care for those uh, for whom nothing has been prepared. So, it's a joy when we get to participate in that. All right, we are moving on to the book of 1 Timothy. I'm not exactly sure all that we're going to cover as we go through 1 Timothy. Uh, tonight, I just want to give an introduction, and then we're going to read the book. We have different readers that are going to come up and read. Um, but in Timothy 4.13, 1 Timothy 4.13 says, Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. And most people believe that that reading, exhortation, and doctrine means reading the Bible out loud. Over in 1 Thessalonians, I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren. Colossians 4.16, and when this epistle is read among you, cause it that it be read also in the church of the Laodiceans. So these letters would come. And, and they would read them. But Paul didn't say, read this letter. He said, give, give attention to readings. And so they did not have Bibles like we have Bibles. So they would come together and they would open the scrolls and they would sit and they would hear the word of God. Praise God, we all have a Bible or six. And uh, we can read in other places. But tonight we're going to read First Timothy. Just so we can experience the way the early church uh, did church. Uh, but tonight, I'm going to start with just a quick introduction, and then the readers are going to come up. I'm going to take about 20 minutes, and then it takes about 20 minutes to read. And, um, and then we'll see what the Holy Spirit wants to do with the good Word of God. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope, Unto Timothy, my own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. 
as I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine, neither give heed to fables and endless, endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith, so do. So out of those verses, I want to pull three, four points. The first point is Paul. The second point is Timothy. The third point is Ephesus. And the final point is um, charge some that they teach no other doctrine. So those are my four points that I'm going to pull out. And let's start with Paul. I just want to introduce you to him. Uh, we know a lot about Paul. Um, he says, Paul, an apostle. The word apostle means sent one. And it's very important to Paul. And he does this over and over in his letters. He says, an apostle, not of man, but of God. He sees that his authority is a God-given authority. It's not a church structure that decided that this guy is able. It was God himself who grabbed Paul and sent him. So he goes in the anointing and faith and power. But we do know that Paul went and submitted all of his teaching to the existing church. And so I want to walk through. The first point is simply that he was an apostle. Um, and according to Philippians... Uh, he was a powerful and influential member of uh, a, a group called Pharisees. He was the tribe of Benjamin. You can read that. And so he was just an amazing guy. As he talks about leaving all that behind, he lists it all, and it's just one point after another. It sort of reminds me of my primary teacher when I went to seminary, Dr. Gage. By the way, Dr. Gage is going to be with us probably early next year, and uh, teach on a topic that he's really known for, which is Christ in the Old Testament. So I'm looking forward to that. But Dr. Gage was really interesting. Uh, he, he, taught my, he taught eight of my classes while I was in seminary. And they all uh, had to do with the classics. So Dr. Gage, you keep finding more stuff out about him as you, as you sit in his class. Uh, he, of course, he got an undergraduate. Uh, but then he got an MDiv. And then he got a JD, which is uh, a lawyer, a lawyer's degree, Juris Doctor, I think is, is, is what it is, a JD. And then he got a, a PhD in philosophy from uh, Dallas. Uh, and then I found out that he was uh, a disciple of Louise Cowan. If you know anything about literature, uh, she has written several books that are sort of the go-to in literature. And then as he's teaching, he talks about the time he lived in Germany and did postdoc work there. And then you find out he knows Greek. And then you find out he knows Hebrew. And then you go online and you find this stuff all over the place. And it's like, oh, man, this guy is amazing. Well, Paul was amazing. Paul had all that and a whole lot more. Not only did he have all of the academic uh, criteria he had the family lineage that was so important. Uh, he was of the tribe of Benjamin. So, so he was just an amazing guy. And the first place we see him is in Acts 8. And this is what we see him doing in the beginning. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church. He was called Saul at this point. So in this first point, uh, he was an apostle, but... I guess the second point would be that he made havoc of the church before he was an apostle. So number two, Paul used to be Saul, and he made havoc of the church. Uh, the word havoc means to cause harm, to injure, damage, spoil, ruin, or destroy. So this super amazing guy, when we first see him, is not operating as an apostle anointed by God, but he's operating as this uh, Pharisee in this system that hates Christianity. In uh, Acts 9, verses 1 through 3, And Saul, breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and asked him for letters to go to Damascus, to the synagogues, 
So if he found any that were in the way, the way being Christianity, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus. And so the first thing, he's making havoc of the church. And the second place we see him, he's wanting to go and drag Christians from uh, Jews who had converted to Christianity and drag them to Jerusalem in order that they might be tried and, and oftentimes uh, murdered for their faith. This is, this is who we're talking about. This is who wrote this letter. And so you have to have that, that view of who he was before you could really understand who he had become. He was breathing out threatenings. Hush! You know, he, I can't stand these people who are destroying the faith. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus. Point three. And suddenly, there shined around about him a light from heaven. Hallelujah. <laughs> Third point, this Saul became Paul. He was converted. This, this major operator in the Jewish community who is being sent out as, as an emissary to capture Christians on the way to Damascus is captured by God. You know the story. I'm not going to spend a lot of time there. I just want to bring that back to your memory. That he goes from this, this person who is just breathing out hatred to a person who's been captured. And he calls him Lord. He becomes a Christian. Number three. All right, number four. After conversion, Paul received a revelation from God. All right. It's important that we understand the revelation that Paul got. Paul did not hear the teaching of Christ from the apostles. Paul was apprehended by Christ on the road. And then he went and spent time alone with God. And here's a couple of verses. Uh, Galatians 1.12 For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. So this guy, who was so powerfully prepared to become the apostle through his training, went through a conversion, and then he saw Christ, it says, out of season. He didn't get to walk with the other apostles, but he had this spiritual experience where a revelation of God comes and opens up what Christianity is really all about. 2 Corinthians 12.1, he said, I've received visions and revelations of the Lord. So just imagine, it would be like uh, Osama bin Laden, all of a sudden, declaring that Jesus is Lord. Well, I guess he'd have to be raised from the dead, but... And then for him to begin to just as passionately and just as vigorously to go about now and try to find people who don't know Jesus and help them come to know who Jesus is. So after his conversion, he travels thousands of miles planting churches. Uh, we know of 13 churches that Paul claims to, to have planted and those churches planted churches. And he travels like most people think he traveled on about 10,000 miles by foot on three different missionary journeys. That's like walking from Washington, D.C. to California and back again three times, sharing the gospel. And Second uh, Corinthians um, 11, 25 through 27 tells us what Paul went through as he made all of these travels. Let me read this. This is good to know about Paul. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I was in the deep. In the journeys, in journeys often perils of waters, perils of robbers, perils by my own countrymen, and perils by the heathen, and perils in the city, and perils in the wilderness. 
This is perils, not pearls. Perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness and watchings often, in hunger and thirst and fastings often, in cold and nakedness. So, this persecutor who once wreaked havoc on the people of God now traveled the Mediterranean world and havoc was wreaked on him because he was sharing the gospel with people, the very gospel that he had oppressed. This is who's writing this letter. The final point, um, not only did he plant all these churches, but he wrote letters to these churches that we have today. And so in all of this church planting, a big part of it was writing letters. And what we have tonight that we're going to study is one of the letters that he wrote in the middle of all those journeys. So that's just a few things about Paul so you know who's writing the letter. Well, who's writing, it's important, but also who he's writing to is important. So Timothy, let's look at Timothy real quick. A few things about him. He first shows up in Acts 16, uh, 1 through 3. Again, this is before he's on the team. Then Paul came to Derby and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewess, and believed but his father was a Greek, a Jewess who believed was a Christian, a Jew who had believed in Christ, and um, which was well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. Him would Paul have to go forth with him and took and circumcised him because of the Jews <coughs> which were there in those quarters, for they knew that his father was a Greek. So Timothy was just a, a, an amazing young man serving God so powerfully that when Paul shows up, he caught Paul's attention. And as he began to ask about him, they gave this report about him that he's an amazing guy. And so right then and right there, this apostle with this revelation of God who comes through, he sees a guy, maybe like Nathan Nolan back there sitting on the back pew. And he says, there's something about that guy. I want him. And I'm going to take him with me. And from that day forward, Timothy traveled with Paul. And you see him over and over and over in the book of Acts. He was just snatched. But not only was he snatched, in order for him to travel with Paul, to avoid certain problems, not because he had to to be a Christian, but to avoid certain problems, this young man had to be circumcised. And we all know what that is. Can you imagine as an 18-year-old, a guy comes through and says, man, you're the guy I want. You're going to travel with me, but before you go, we got to do something. And so right off from the very beginning, Timothy understood what it means to live in ways that aren't necessary to be a Christian but it's profitable for the work. He chose to do something he didn't have to do to be a Christian so that he could be a better servant in the house of God. To me, that's an amazing thing. All right, so that's what we first find out about him. Um, the other thing we know about him, not only was he full of faith, but as you read 2 Timothy, the second thing that I'd like to point out about Timothy, Paul is writing him in 2 Timothy 1.5, he says... When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, I am persuaded that in thee also. So he's talking about the faith that was in him, that he saw in the family. But then in chapter 3, verse 15, he says, And that from a child you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Jesus Christ. So Timothy knew the scriptures, the Old Testament, in such a way that he had discovered Christ in the Old Testament. The Old Testament that would make him wise unto salvation. And he was able to break that bread with Paul as they traveled. Number three... If you read the book of Acts, you'll find out that Timothy traveled with Paul on 
many of his journeys. But if you look between the lines, you'll see that when Timothy is not there, Paul has sent him somewhere else. And that's where we are in this letter. Paul has sent Timothy. Well, actually, Paul was traveling through Ephesus five years after the church had been planted. And here they were. And Paul said, Timothy, you need to stay here. And you need to make sure that these people get pulled back into the pure and undefiled word of God. And so just the third point is that Timothy became Paul's right-hand man. He was either right there with him ministering or Paul was leaving them there in his stead. So just like Paul planted the church and wrote letters, Timothy, as Paul would write these letters, he would be the co-author of many of the letters. 2 Corinthians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, and Philemon, all of those, um, all of those are uh, letters that bear Paul and Timothy's name. They wrote it together. In the book of Philippians, Paul says, I have no other man like him. The last thing I'll point out about Timothy is this. At least once, we're pretty sure that he got put in prison as well. Whoever wrote the letter to the Hebrews finishes up in the last chapter this way. Know you that our brother Timothy is set at liberty, with whom, if he comes shortly, I will see you. So evidently, Timothy was in prison. And whoever wrote that book, some people think it might be Paul, uh, but no one knows for sure. But Timothy's name appears there as someone who had been in jail and been released. So just like everything that Paul went through, Timothy went through it well. I seldom mention things that come from history, uh, but there's, there's, there's a real possibility that this could be true. Uh, tradition has it that the way Timothy died when he was about 80 years old is it was this great procession a worshiping of all people, the goddess Artemis. And he jumps up, 80 years old, and this big procession, if you've ever been in Mexico, you've seen them, uh, they'll, they'll take a big statue and they'll hold it up and they'll walk and there'll be just, the streets will be filled. Tradition has it that Timothy stood up in front of that thing as it was coming and began to preach Jesus in order to disrupt the thing much like they had done in Ephesus when they first got there, and the mob stoned him, killed him. So that's, that's a little bit about Timothy. And so I wanted, I wanted to talk about Paul and Timothy so you could see the similarities and see that Paul was really, if I can borrow Matthew's term, Paul was the goat. He was the greatest of all times. Uh, he, he was the... He was the penultimate representative of God. How many knows what penultimate means? Uh, you just learned, yeah. It means almost the best. It's, the, it, it, it's, it's, it's number two. So he was the penultimate <laughs> representative of God. Who was the ultimate representative of God? Jesus was. So he was the goat as it, as it refers to man. But you know, one of the things that, as, as Matt was talking about the goat, uh, something that was, somebody that wasn't mentioned is a guy named Pete Maravich. Does anybody in here know who Pete Maravich is? If you're as old as Bill and I, the Pete Maravich was, was the, the, the Michael Jordan, the, the uh, anybody, LeBron, you can name any of those guys. He was a white guy. But it was like he was magic. Didn't they call him Magic Pete? What? Pistol Pete Maravich. I mean, he, he could, he, he, it, it was just like he'd be in a conversation. And he'd take the ball and do this. And he'd go over, you know, 50 feet and, and go through the hoop. But, you know, you all don't even know who Pete Maravich is, most of you. You know, there's going to be a day when people won't know who Michael Jordan is. 
And it's going to go on and on and on. And what's interesting about those guys is that when they die, they try to live out their position as the greatest of all time to the very end. You, you, you don't see these amazing athletes pointing to another athlete and says, this is my man. This is the guy who's going to take over. It's the, the thing to do is to be the goat. See? But we have a goat. His name is Jesus. He's the greatest of all time. And all we are is, is second fiddle to the greatest of all time. And we are so enamored with the greatest of all time, we don't want it to die with us. And so we try to find somebody who can carry on, and that's what Paul found in Timothy. Paul was enamored with God, and he found another man who was enamored with God that could take it just a little bit further. And so there's urgency in this letter. There's love in this letter. There's passion in this letter. There's this desire in this letter to see this thing that God has given me ministry, service of, to be passed on and for it to continue and for it to get broader. And so you've got to keep that in mind when you're reading this letter. This is the old goat <laughs> passing it on to the new goat, not to maintain his glory, but because this thing we're involved in is, is the glory of, of, of the heavenly goat. Does that make sense? You've got to have that in you as you read through this. All right. This year... I love it. I, I retired from Mars Hill. And uh, as I was retiring, uh, for the last two years, Ben Hughes has been shadowing me. And Mars Hill is pretty dear to me. I gave 30 years of my life in, in planting Mars Hill. And uh, I, uh, I was reading some things that Ben has been writing. Not only does he capture some of the, the important worldview ideas and the interdisciplinary approach that we take, and an understanding of the great conversation. But he takes it a few steps further. And I'm like, oh, man, I am so blessed that I, I can step off the scene and not, I don't have to lament that it's going to die, and I can rejoice that it's going to get even better. And that's what Paul's doing. He's, he's pouring himself in to this other minister that's going to be able to take it further. And um, I, I want to say a couple of things about Ephesus, and then we're going to read through this book. Uh, this older man who is um, speaking into a younger man's life. What time is it, Brenda? Can you see my... Oh, I got it in my pocket. Sorry. It's 737. You know, if we start reading right now, here's the three things I would share about Ephesus. Let's go ahead and have the readers come up while they're coming. So the place that Timothy is, where Paul has sent him to establish this, this, uh, this church, is a place called Ephesus. And there would be three things that I would, I would share about Ephesus. First of all, one of the seven wonders of the world was here at Ephesus. Uh, and it was this, this great temple where Artemis uh, was housed. Artemis was the goddess Diana. And think New York City, and think Disney World. It's like Disney World, Orlando, and Disney World are synonymous, but they're really two different things. Ephesus was the temple of Artemis. When you would think about Ephesus, you would think about this great temple. And so when people would, just like people come from all over the world to Disney World, it was a center where people would come to worship this goddess. The second thing was the Colosseum. When Paul uh, was, was attacked in the Colosseum, that Colosseum still stands today. How many of you all remember the old um, uh, basketball uh, stadium before they put the new one in? It held about 23, 20, between 23 and 24,000 people. This stadium was that big. It was 100 feet high, and this is the place where Paul and Timothy and the gang were, were attacked for preaching the gospel when they first planted the church. 
So, so those are two things for sure. The third thing, though, would be it's like New York City in the sense of you've got all of these different areas that sell uh, in New York, you know, textiles, um, uh, foreign spices. Uh, you've got a Chinatown. They had this gigantic agora that uh, had these little shops all the way around it and all the way through it. And it would be like if you've ever been to New York City and you just walk in to one of those sections and you see just things hanging everywhere. Uh, so this city was the New York City of, of, of that period of time. And Paul was writing to a guy who was right in the middle of that, dealing with all of the goddess worship, with all of the, the financial dealings, uh, with all of the, the port city, with so many different ideas coming in. And he's saying, man, you have got to keep the word pure here. Passionate heart to a guy in a key city, and we're going to read it. Right, First Timothy chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the commandment of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus, who is our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you upon my departure from Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines nor to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies, which give rise to mere speculation rather than furthering the administration of God, which is by faith. But the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. For some men, straying from these things have turned aside to fruitless discussion, wanting to be teachers of the law, even though they do not understand either what they are saying or the matters about which they make confident assertions. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, realizing the fact that law is not made for a righteous person, but for those who are lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers and immoral men and homosexuals and kidnappers and liars and perjurers and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service, even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor. Yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. It is a trustworthy statement deserving all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am foremost of all. Yet for this reason I found mercy so that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you fight the good fight, keeping faith in a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. Among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan so that they will be taught not to blaspheme. First of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying. 
as a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Therefore, I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works, as is proper for women making a claim to godliness. A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was first created and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. But women will be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. Chapter 3. It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to be to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. He must be the one who manages his own household well keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? And not a new convert, so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church, so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Deacons, likewise, must be men of dignity, not double-tongued or addicted to much wine or fond of sordid gain, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. These men must also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Deacons must be husbands of only one wife and good managers of their children and their own households. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. I am writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long, but in case I am delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. By common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. He who was revealed in the flesh, was vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. But the spirit explicitly says that in latter times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron, men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared, shared in by those who believe and know the truth, for everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude, for it is sanctified by means of the word of God and prayer. In pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following, but have nothing to do with worldly fables fit for only old women on the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it, since it holds the promise for the present life and also for the life to come. It is a trustworthy statement, deserving full acceptance, for it is for this we labor and strive, 
because we have fixed our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. Prescribe and teach these things. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed upon you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father, to the younger men as brothers, the older women as mothers, and the younger women as, his, as sisters in all purity. Honor widows who are widows indeed. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, they must first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family, and then to make some return to their parents, for this is acceptable in the sight of God. Now, now she who is a widow indeed, and who has been left alone, has fixed her hope on God, and continues in entreaties and prayers night and day. But she who lives, gives herself to wanton pleasure is dead even while she lives. Prescribe these things as well as that which they may be above reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. A widow is to be put on the list only if she is not less than 60 years old, having been the wife of one man having a reputation for good works, and if she has brought up children, if she has shown hospitality to strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has assisted those in distress, and if she has devoted herself to every good work, but, for, but refused to put younger widows on the list. For when they <clears throat> feel central desires in, disgrace of Christ, in disregard of Christ, they want to get married, thus incurring condemnation because they have set aside their previous pledge. At the same time, they also learn to be idle as they go around from house to house and not merely idle, but also gossips and busybodies talking about those things not proper to mention. Therefore, I want younger widows to get married bear children, keep house, and give the, the enemy no occasion for reproach. For some have already turned aside and fall, to follow Satan. If any woman who is a, is a believer has dependent widows, she must assist them, and the children must not be burdened, be burdened so that it may assist those who are widows indeed. The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. Those who continue in sin rebuke in the presence of all, so that the rest also will be fearful of sinning. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of his chosen angels to maintain these principles without bias, doing nothing in the spirit of partiality. Do not lay hands upon anyone too hastily and therefore share responsibility for the sins of others. <clears throat> 
Keep yourself free from sin. No longer drink water exclusively, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and for your frequent ailments. The sins of some men are quite evident. Going before them to judgment for others, their sins follow after. Likewise also, deeds that are good are quite evident, and those which are otherwise cannot be concealed. All who are under the yoke as slaves are to regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and our doctrine will not be spoken against. Those who have believers as their masters must not be disrespectful to them because they are brethren, but must serve them all the more, because those who partake of the benefit are believers and beloved. Teach and preach these principles. If anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with the doctrine conforming to godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing, but he has a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words, out of which arise envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of depraved mind and deprived of the truth who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate, that you keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will bring about at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of, what, of that which is life indeed. O Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding worldly and empty chatter and the opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and thus gone astray from the faith. Grace be with you. This is the word of the Lord. So, this Paul, who had uh, extreme intellect, great perseverance, and deep spiritual experience, had gone into a city much like ours, and he had preached the gospel. Before he had gone into places where they were trying to establish churches, and he had disrupted but now he has seen that it's the gospel of Jesus Christ that brings order and health and goodness to a culture. And he's been trying to establish little, little clusters of culture throughout the Mediterranean. And he sees success, he sees expansion, but he also sees his own end. And so he passionately writes this letter 
to a young man that he's told to stay in that very city where it all broke out. And he, he passionately pulls him back to the word of God, back to the gospel of Jesus Christ, as they wade through, how can these people who worshiped Artemis, how can these people who believed in, in polytheistic systems, how can these people who have uh, lived in polygamy, how can they structure their life now to be the people of God? And he passes it on to Timothy and says, fight a good fight. Stand in faith. Stand against the culture and help the people of God become the people of God. It's going to be a great letter. Uh, it's going to be a joy to walk through it. And uh, so I encourage you. It took us less than 20 minutes to read it through. And so you could read through this every day. And as you read through it over and over, uh, it, it's, um, it, it just begins to come together as one whole. And you catch the heart of it. And uh, so we'll be doing it now for three or four weeks. So try to read through every day. And this week, keep this theme in mind. Paul was calling him back to the word of God. And as you read through, underline with a particular color of pencil every place that Paul calls Timothy to the word of God. You can also read 2 Timothy and do the same thing because it's the same, uh, it's the same it's the same theme through 2 Timothy. It is the word of God that shapes and orders and out of chaos brings light and life. Amen? You excited about 1 Timothy? Huh? Are, are you ready to do this? Are you ready to really dive in and study and learn what it takes to shape a culture into the image of the kingdom of God? I am. I, I can't wait. This is going to be so fun. Jake, do you have a song for us? I do. All right. Good. Let's, let's, let's stand and let's worship.